The Building Better Business podcast is the best place to learn how to take your business to the next level. It's no longer enough to earn good profits. You need to develop a network of connections as well as use all types of marketing to your advantage that will put you over the edge. Hosted by me, Steve Eschbach, a financial executive with decades of experience in dealing with businesses and business people, we'll learn how this all comes together. Join me and my expert guests as we delve into the many facets of owning the business and how to become a good, caring business owner. Listen how making a difference in your community can attract all sorts of clientele, which in turn will build you a better business. Greetings of the day, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Building Better Businesses. I am Steve Eschbach. I am your host. I am also the owner of Transworld Business Advisors here in Naperville, Illinois, just outside of Chicago. Transworld Business Advisors is a mergers and acquisitions specialist firm. We are the largest and fastest growing business brokerage in the United States. And to get a little bit more insight on building better businesses, I'm delighted to have with me today, Sean Farrell, who is the chairman and founder of Manage Solution. Sean, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. And it's morning for yes. you. I <laughs> it sure is. Thanks for having me. So real quickly, tell me a little bit about Managed Solution, and you'll have a little bit more opportunity to talk in greater detail about that. Uh, tell me a little bit about your current company and uh, how you got to where you are today. Um, technology services, IT outsourcing, if you will. So we work with customers all over the world. We have a U.S.-based help desk 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So I have employees all over the country. At a very high level, work from home, which has been kind of the theme with COVID, we've been very popular, let's say it that way, um, as IT companies have had to transition to help desks. The other thing we do is, you know, when, you're, when you hear the words Amazon and Microsoft and cloud and all that good stuff, we're one of the top services providers globally for Microsoft Corporation. So they come to us or customers come to us saying, hey, we're looking to make that transition to the quote unquote cloud a lot of things, by the way, and that's what we help them do. Well, that's great. I look forward to exploring that in greater detail, but we're going to take a uh, little rewind of the videotape, go back to your childhood. So I know where you are today, but we want to talk a little bit about your upbringing. Where were you born and raised? How did your parents influence you in your formative years? And then we'll talk a little bit about your education after that. So where were you born? Where were you raised? How did your parents influence where you are today? Quick story. My parents are actually from Central America, Panama. That's where they were born and raised. So right when they got married, they've been together since, oh goodness, junior high, I think it was. They came up here to the United States. They had me in Riverside, California, so not too far away from San Diego. You know, influence-wise, my mom and dad were, you know, very much the quote-unquote blue-collar workers of old, you know, stayed at, I think my dad worked for two companies in his career. My mom was an actual bilingual tutor helping kids who spoke Spanish learn English um, for the school systems. But my mom was a stay-at-home mom. Um, the biggest, I'd say, influence that, you know, both of them gave me, my dad was the one who taught me the common sense, so to speak, how to, you know, be out there, um, you know, learn to be handy. I love to rebuild boats, rebuild cars, just, you know, tool around with stuff, as he would say. And my mom was the, I got to call it, we'll say book smart person who really helped me through school. But, you know, the biggest thing they did, and I say this about all parents, is just nurtured me as a kid. You know, I, we use this theme in business that we call it, you know, not just trusting people, but feeling safe. You know, my mom was instrumental in allowing me to make mistakes, as was my dad, feeling safe, knowing that they were always going to protect me. And that played a good, in some way, role in my upbringing. And it also, in some ways, you know, I think my mom did save me a lot of the time as I was a kid, you know, and, 
And uh, it, it kind of turned me into a person as an adult now who wants to sort of help, you know, make people feel safe, but also try to save and fix someone. But, you know, in some cases you can help and fix and coach someone to be better leaders or better, you know, people in the community. In other cases, there's things that you just can't fix. So I've had to, to, to tango with that on occasion to figure out, can I really be helpful or can I not? But either which way, it's important that I put my best foot forward to try to make sure that, you know, people who at least have come around me feel safe. I think you have a great philosophy there and uh, something that's uh, I would think is uh, a benefit for you. You're a people person, but you're a technology person and the two of those going hand to hand together, I think makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, you know, it was technology, it was funny. I was a kid, it was not in my upbringing. I don't wanna call myself old because of that either. I just, it wasn't something that we had and now having kids who go to school and that's all they do is everything's tech, especially with COVID, even prior to COVID, it's been a big change and so, the biggest challenge that I think my children face outside of, you know, the workplace is just the social impact of what's happening on the, you know, call it intraweb or, you know, the internet. It's a scary thing right now. So we're dealing with that as parents and we're hopeful that over time, the marketing that's published in the social world, you know, on the internet is, is good in some way for our, our future humans, my kids, especially, you know, I want to make sure that people get the right advice and not the wrong. So um, definitely was an impact. Makes a lot of sense. So when you were a child and uh, in your grammar school, high school years, what did you think about what you'd be doing today? And is it different than where you are now? I'm sure it is. Yeah, I, I definitely was the, um, wanted to be the doctor, the lawyer. I applied to Harvard University. That was kind of where I thought I was going to be going to become a, a lawyer of sorts. Um, it was just, you know, like most parents, I think my parents were, you know, these are the professors professions, excuse me, you should focus on. Um, and, you know, sports was also a big thing. I played sports all the way up through college. You know, baseball was a passion of mine. But ultimately, um, I think at a young age, I learned that, you know, school is like work. You know, you have to, you know, work hard to show your teachers, you know, that, you know, your intentions are good. You're trying to get good grades. And it's just, I always joke with my kids. I said, you know, when you go to school, um, your teacher can write you up. If, if you're not doing a great job. And I, I compare that to a write-up in business. I said, so it's important, you know, in my childhood that I started realizing early, it was my third grade teacher, as a matter of fact, who said to me, you know, grades are going to be important, but more so like impacts on your community, involving yourself in extracurricular stuff, what a, you know, student body or different sports. Or I remember this thing called mock trial back then where I was, you know, a, a mock lawyer, so to speak, you know, so I tried to do everything I could as a child and said yes to a lot of things, frankly, but I think it gave me a broad scope for, you know, what was out there in the world, and it wasn't until college that I got really interested in the tech, and, and you have to remember, it's 15, 17 years ago, tech was still evolving, but I still, I loved engineers, I just loved their intelligence, I loved the fact that they were different than me, I could complement their skills, and then that's how I kind of chose the tech world is kind of where I focus. So was there a Sean Furrow prior to Managed Solution? What was your first job out of college? There was no Sean. Well, I existed. But uh, yeah, you know, I got out. I went to University of San Diego, um, private school out here. You know, business was the background philosophy back to the law school thing. That's where I was headed. I wanted to see things from, you know, both angles, two sides to every story, as a philosopher might say. And ultimately, um, you know, I graduated and I think it was about eight months after that. I didn't get to travel like I tell children today and kids that I mentor in colleges, you know, get out there and explore the world a little bit more than I did. 
and I started Managed Solution fresh out of school. So good for you. So I heard a lot of the word mistake, and I got to tell you that I no longer use that word. The reason why I don't do that, because it would be very discouraging for me, because I now call them learning experiences. And I heard a little bit about your upbringing, where your, I think your mom let you make mistakes and learn by doing. So what were some of the biggest, I would guess, learning experience that you had along the way to got you to where you are today? Yeah, you know, and I would say, you know, life experiences, learn lessons or lessons learned. It's a much better term than that is true, Steve, I'll say that. Um, you know, for me in school back when, um, you know, some of the things that I, I was really interested in what other people thought about me, and I still am today. I'm always introspective wise, you know, as I, if I leave a conversation, you know, how did somebody perceive me? What did they think about me? And that's played a role in, you know, me being a, aware of what's going on in my surroundings, um, whether it's in a meeting or whether it's with kids or whether it's me coaching my kids baseball. But at the same time, it can also, you know, you, you don't want to sit there and knock yourself all the time and, you know, you know, ask yourself questions about, you know, could I have done it better? To me, you know, life is kind of a journey. It's chapter by chapter. I think, you know, I've, I've done things. I have no real regrets. You know, my long-term goal is that people look at me and say, he came into the world with integrity. He left with it a little bit wiser along the way. And ultimately, you know, I just put my best foot forward in every conversation. But um, yeah, that was probably the biggest thing as a kid is just wondering, you know, what the perception was of how I dressed, how I combed my hair, how good I was at a sport. Did I have the best grades? You know, I was, I think in high school, I was our salutatorian. I wanted to be our valedictorian. And I just put a lot of pressure on myself to be better and better. And sometimes you ask yourself, you know, who do you have to be the best or show up the best for? And really, that's you. Sounds like based on what you're telling me that you do a lot of observe, a lot of observing and that you probably take into consideration what other people have learned, what they've been through, and probably implement that into your own business today. Am I right about that? Is that kind of how you work it, work it through? Absolutely. I give, you know, I don't want to call it the term benefit of the doubt, but I look, I try to put myself in the other person's shoes in every scenario. Like COVID's a great example. I tell people all the time, there's so much uncertainty in the world. I don't pretend to judge when I meet anyone. The only thing I can do is put my best self forward and, you know, hopefully walk away with, a, you know, making that person feel better about their day, their week, whatever it may be. And that's the same thing in business. And that is where, you know, we could use all the terms servant leadership, um, you know, just really being there upside down pyramid for my company, kind of being, you know, at the base of the company, just being there to help my people. That served me well over the years, just really trying to understand their side of the story and trying to figure out from there, you know, the best outcome we can create. You know, it's interesting earlier on in, in our conversation, you were talking about you've kind of done things out of the home and what you've basically done is home-based businesses. You've never had to be what most people have had to do, be in a corporate environment, and then all of a sudden try to convert that to remote. It sounds like you did remote from the get-go. So what about these automated services and dealing with people? You know, what are the best practices that existed up until COVID-19? And is there anything that kind of changed along the way that you feel is important for business owners to grapple with? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. So, you know, we, we studied our row work environments, results-oriented work environments. Google and Best Buy and all these companies had had these years and years ago. So we moved to a remote work environment about 
seven or eight years ago. So we just said to our employees, you come in at least two days a week into our corporate office, but the rest of the time you figure out how to make your schedule and understand your KPIs and your you know, objective key results you're trying to achieve as a business or as an individual. And so we spent tons of time building the processes around doing that um, for the people. And, and the studies show that, you know, we have mobility more than ever, you know, cell phones and these kind of devices, we have internet. So people work more efficiently given the time in a day. They don't have to wake up at eight, drive to the office, be there by nine, you know, all that good stuff anymore. There's just more time in a day to get a lot more things done. COVID, you know, you, you think about it, what really the impact I think it had, well, one in, with technology is sort of our sidekick now. COVID was a really, just pushed the world a little bit faster. You know, I think for the longest time we were doing these conference calls, we were doing them without video, we were doing them on our cell phone. That connection via video is not like having a connection in person, but it definitely has pushed people to at least now start to use video and make sure that they're using collaboration tools that they weren't before. But the second thing, and this is going to be, in my opinion, the biggest impact, I can't walk down the hall anymore to my VP of sales office or my director of people and culture or my COO's office and say, how did we do last week on our sales pipeline? So business intelligence, like access to data, and we keep saying data is gold, is going to be critical in the future. And a lot of companies in the tech space, or I'm sorry, a lot of companies using technology are not set up to get that business intelligence or BI. So that is where I think we're going to see more um, companies head. And that's where I think, and even in our business, we'll excel with having that data at our fingertips. So that's going to be a big impact going forward. So you mentioned a concept that I haven't really discussed much with my guests yet, and that is KPIs, which are key performance indicators. And then if I can take that to the next level, there is accountability. And it sounds like what I'm hearing you say is that you hold the people you work with accountable to themselves. Now, do you have them be accountable with one another as kind of an outside looking in way to guide that? Or what would your comment be about that? Yeah, you know, we kind of, we, we try to put it in the nicest of ways by saying, you know, we expect you to be accountable to the next person or human or whatever it is system that, you know, falls in line. So say, you know, we have our large help desk of employees, you know, we explain to them, it's not, it's kind of like being a kid again, in some ways, I, I relate to that and saying, you know, when you're not accountable for something you should be taking on, you kind of let the next person down. It's uh, like doing chores of old. When I was a kid with my brother, it was, you know, if, if he didn't do it, then ultimately it would funnel up to me because maybe I was the older brother. So if you word it in the right way and, and kind of, you know, that term accountability, I think has been used a lot in business um, and just say, you know, you're just kind of, you're, you're letting the next guy down. And the Navy SEALs, their ethos, I think it was never leave another man behind is what part of their ethos. We kind of follow that model to help people understand that it's not just you and the, maybe the client that you let down, but ultimately your peers that you're letting down in that chain of command. So what do you like best about what you do? Is it the data component? Is it the people component? Is the interactive of the two? Is it learning? I don't know. I'm just throwing some ideas out there, but yeah, what kind of makes you tick? I'll just, okay. So I love the why of the people and, you know, Simon Sinek, you know, may have coined the term start with why or said it, but I really, really, really am a, we're a purpose-driven company. And um, my goal, my job with my employees is to help them see past the expertise that they have. I can fix a technical problem for you, or I could advise you on how to move to the cloud, Steve. My job is to get them to go, what did you do to change the way that person did 
business because technology is side by side with them these days. And if they can have a better lifestyle because of it outside of work, they can have a better experience because they made somebody happy with, you know, whatever they did to serve them. If they can just change and make somebody more productive, like that's the why, that's the purpose that these engineers and different employees I have should be looking at. And it's hard that, you know, cause they're stuck in the day to day. So we try to, you know, we have a whole system gamification program that comes back and it, it kind of rewards people for, you know, these different things that they're doing to help clients. Absolutely. So what is your ideal client like? Tell me a little bit more about managed solution. What type of client are you looking for? Is it small? Is it big? Is it one or two employees? Is it 10? What is the ideal client for you? And, and when you get in the door for your initial meeting, what is the first thing you want to gather from them? And what's the first thing you want to tell them? Yeah, our client base, you know, we're looking for 100 employees upwards of 5,000. We're looking for companies who want to do two things. And I, I'll start with the second part of your question. You know, we walk into companies just like you would do for a company starting out. You know, we help to take and build a corporate mission or an, excuse me, an IT mission and an IT strategy and kind of create that tagline. Here's what we're trying to achieve through the lens of technology. So that means that we have to get in there, uncover, you know, kind of a current state of where we sit today as a business, understand the, the gaps, the business process, um, the gaps in the business and the business process, and then ultimately kind of create that roadmap. And it sounds, it's kind of a coin term in our industry. You know, we got to do a network assessment. For us, it's really creating a vision and trying to look at five core pillars. You know, one of them is corporate growth. Can technology serve that? Can it serve um, operational excellence? customer experience, like, are you happy with the way we're serving you? But then even like take a healthcare firm, can that doctor make sure that he's serving or she's serving their client, the patient experience well? So we operate under these pillars and that ultimately is, you know, how we, we go to market. And then of course, behind that, you know, the managed services, the ongoing support services to support those platforms. Sounds like a good approach there. Uh, we're running a bit about toward the end of our time here. What haven't we talked about that you want the world to know? What you want our audience to know? What we didn't cover that is an essential element for building better businesses, being successful, getting yourself ready for the rapid growth. I see you've been an award recipient for fast growing companies over time. So what are the key key items there that your our client, our audience wants to know about or should know about? I think we have to look at things like, as I would say, 40,000 foot kind of downward from there. I mean, so, you know, any business owner, just be aware of the, the surroundings, what's changing around us in the world. You know, I, I had an opportunity to speak at a conference a couple of years ago, and we talked about life changes that will be impacted by like, you know, autonomous vehicles, predictive healthcare, you know, if we know what's going to happen to us, you know, how will we change in the way we do things, spending or living or whatever that is. So, you know, you start to really look at the big picture, um, if you will, and try to formulate if, as an entrepreneur new ideas and how to, you know, acclimate to that, you know, new world. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day about travel and hospitality and how, you know, we have to think over the next few years, we're going to see a lot more of that domestic travel. And what does that mean for you know, the, the, the companies, you know, so the BRBOs and the Airbnbs, like the Ubers, the Lyfts, all that. So, that, I mean, that's one thing I would say when you kind of take it down a notch, 30,000 foot, you know, in the technology sector, I, as much as we may have, you know, it was the guys in the back room or as much as we may hate the technology at times that we use, hopefully it's an enabler in most cases. I got to tell you, it's going to be front and center in our world from, you know, here on out. And so 
instead of companies looking at the favorite tools, letting you know internal IT teams say, oh, I, I happen to be good at this one platform or tool or software, there's so much stuff, good stuff out there that solves business problems. Start with the end in mind. Like, what is it you're trying to solve for the business and ultimately you know, bring to bear the right technology and then you know, 10,000 foot view, the tools that are gonna solve it. And I see so many companies going down the wrong path because somebody knew something about something they liked and that's not solving the business problem. And so I, I can't stress enough, you know, really open, you know, sort of your eyes to what's out there these days, you know, look at where companies are driving down costs for different software and hardware platforms and tools and just take, take you know, I think it's what the five Ps uh, proper planning present, prevents poor performance. You know, planning, 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 everything I talked about in my like IT strategy and vision session, it's like you have to do that. And it costs money and time to do that, but that investment will pay off, you know, in that outcome that we talked about, that corporate growth, that business excellence, things like that. Planning, planning, planning sounds a little bit like location, location, location for real estate. I mean, they're, they're an essential whether technology advances, whether technology stays stagnant, planning ha always has to be there, location always has to be there. So there are some basic tenets that have to remain even though everything else around us is changing so rapidly. Mm -hmm. How do you stay on top of that? What do you find the best way to stay relevant in the changing world? Well, I've always used the term ignorance is bliss. You know, I try to stay out of the marketing, the news and all the stuff that I read that is in some ways propaganda for me. I, I just try to look at it, you know, conceptually, like you said, there's sort of that, that foundational level of everything, whether it's, you know, how does something, you know, how do we move people faster? Or how do we move, you know, logistics? How do we move, you know, goods and services in a different way? Um, so I start with like really foundational level conversations with people. And then we start taking it up a notch to talk about, you know, let's talk about driver autonomous vehicles and how we're going to move food and, 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 and other types of, you know, goods through the channel, you know, that, that's, it's hard to do, but again, that's just my brain spinning all the time trying to, to look at new ideas. So, and that is a problem as an entrepreneur, as we all know, that shiny object that you got to be careful of. Well, I mean, if you're not, if you're going to do something, you're not going to get it by doing nothing for sure. So sometimes all that activity spurns exactly what you want. Well, Sean, unfortunately, we're going to have to call it an end here, but last but not least, where can we go to find out more information about Sean? Yeah, uh, managesolution.com. The LinkedIn thing seems to be pretty trusty these days. You know, we kind of spew at the mouth everything we've ever done. So it's all there on my LinkedIn profile. Um, and then, of course, you can always just, you know, email or reach out to me directly. My information's right there on our website, managesolution. Solution, by the way, .com. Yeah, we get my buddy who owns the other with solutions won't sell it to me. Um, and I wish he would. But, yeah, that would be a nice thing to have. That's another challenge for another day. All right. Sounds good, Sean. Thanks so much for your time. And audience, I thank you for listening in for another Building Better Businesses podcast series program. Thank you. The Building Better Business podcast is the best place to learn how to take your business to the next level. It's no longer enough to earn good profits. You need to develop a network of connections as well as use all types of marketing to your advantage that will put you over the edge. Hosted by me, Steve Eschbach, a financial executive with decades of experience in dealing with businesses and business people, we'll learn how this all comes together. Join me and my expert guests as we delve into the many facets of owning the business and how to become a good, caring business owner. 
Listen Now Making a Difference in Your Community can attract all sorts of clientele, which in turn will build you a better business.